Welcome back to Still Here, Still Healing, part of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. This is season two, episode six, and I'm excited to say that I have partnered with Create to Learn for the next three episodes. So Create to Learn is a taking a global program that aims to support First Nation, Métis, and Inuit students and youth in developing creativity and digital content production skills. Throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, they launched Create to Learn at Home, which provided opportunities for different Indigenous artists and makers to showcase their skills by providing a series of video tutorials. Some of the tutorials include things like beading, music making, website design, and how to make your own video games. You can find all of the video content on the Create to Learn app or at createtolearn.ca. Over the next three episodes of Still Here, Still Healing, I'll be speaking with some of the Indigenous artists that were part of the program. And up first is Hal Cameron. Hi, um, well, Hal Cameron and Sika Sun, a Nipsiko Pawini na Koche. I'm from Beardies and Okamasis First Nation here in Treaty 6 territory. Um, I don't know what else, how else to introduce myself. Howard Cameron Kagiti Tegua Norling Grez Niniki Iguak. My late father was Howard Cameron and my mother is Norling Grez. Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll just leave it at that, I guess. Yeah, that's good. Um, <laughs> so I just want to jump in right like right away about the Create to Learn series. Um, so basically, whoever's listening to this, um, Create to Learn uh, hired Indigenous artists and creatives from all across Canada. Um, and you were one of those people. And so um, do you just mm-hmm. want to talk a little bit about the two series that you created for us and, and um, I guess like what sparked that inspiration to do those topics okay uh yeah so the the first one that i did was i think it was like last year um but it i think i was i'm trying to remember which one that was about oh there was a, like the chakapeg and i like the syllabic star chart yeah and so how that one came to be was i saw the call out from create to learn and automatically i thought i was going to do like an art one like doing drawing but at that time, I was uh, really into um, like the syllabics, and I didn't really see too much too much content out there that was um, like accessible for people to learn in that way. And I guess as a language learner and someone who's like taking a serious approach to it, I. I just see the value in learning the really like basic foundational sounds to the language. And, and so I, I found it really useful in my own learning to, to like be really proficient in the syllabics. And so it was just kind of like an easy, easy shift to make, to go into that uh, series. And I, I was fortunate enough to, learn like some of the like a star chart and stuff like that from his name's Ruben Quinn Sikasso. Um and I just found it just really easy and engaging and um really like I guess the story behind it too is really pro- um profound. So I thought I would create um yeah just a an easy little 
think it's a two or three part video on just the basic sounds in the language. And I thought it turned out really, really well. It uh, was a fun opportunity to be able to um, put myself in that position of like teaching because that's not really what I do. I'm more like a learner. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was another shift in my own process of just being able to start sharing what I've been learning. And, and then, yeah, then I guess the last one that we did just not too long ago, um, the art series was just doing some like digital drawing on I think the iPad and just showing my process of being able to create a portrait and some of the things that I look at when creating art and um, especially reference drawing and things like that and the work that goes behind it. Mm -hmm. I'm actually like, uh, so the first series you did with the Cree syllabics, I'm going to be using that. Like I'm a teacher, so I'm going to be using that in one of my classrooms. And so like the content that's been coming out from Create to Learn has just been like so helpful for me. And I'm, I'm just, I'm making the assumption that it's helpful for other people too. But like throughout the pandemic, I, um, I guess like a lot of people were kind of lost with like what what to do what to do with all their time and so all the all of these series that were made were just like so helpful for people I feel like like even for myself I was like beating from the tutorials and mm. I was I tried fish skin tanning and now I'm like really into it and so and even with your series it's like I'm going to be using it in my classroom so super thankful for that um I want to talk a little bit about uh, your digital art. So that's something that you and I both actually do. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I follow you on Instagram and I see the things that you create and you're super talented. Um, and so I guess I just wanted to ask you, like, how did you get into that and how did you get started with digital art? Um, I So, like, I've been creating art for, man, ever since I was a kid. So it's like traditional art form. So, um so I just think it was just that time to like shift into like the more digital sense of things because I I was creating art um, traditionally and then like scanning it and then putting it into a digital file for like to make prints and whatnot. And that was starting to get really tedious um, just doing that process. And, and so I... I think this was probably like four or five years ago now when I invested in a Wacom tab tablet. So I was able to draw on my computer, on my desktop, on Photoshop. And I just, I just saw just how quick the process was, like it's how much more free flowing I felt when creating art um, and being able to transition it into a file to do all the other um, things like creating art prints and whatnot. And and so, and I also loved just how loose you can be with your creative process because with traditional methods of creating art with, I've did a lot of like graphite, um, charcoal and watercolor and inking. And it's like, all those are really, uh, I don't know, you have to be really delicate. Um, you, there's not a lot of room for error yeah i find and that too it's like if you mess up uh, when you're doing digital art it's like oh i'll just undo it and like it's so easy and that's that's why i love it it's like i, I can't mess up like if you mess up you just you can fix it so easily <laughs> yeah yeah and at the same time i'm like i'm trying to be really conscious because i it's like i have a really firm footing in the traditional art um i guess sphere and but now that I'm in this tradition and this digital 
um, space and just that, yeah, just being able to undo things or be able to create layers and just, you know, all those things just makes it so much easier. Mm-hmm. And, but at the same time, I'm just like, oh, I don't want to let go of that traditional part either. Like I love being able to pick up a charcoal pencil and create something out of that. And um, yeah, so it's it's kind of a fun transition. It's being able to, yeah, have done that traditional side of art for a long time. And then now just finding this new way of creating art in a digital sense has been a really cool shift. It's kind of neat that we're in this era, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I feel that way too. And like, I don't know, I think growing up, like I've always been like a creative person and an artistic person, but I think like I I had this like self-doubt of like, I felt like I didn't have the ability or I didn't have the talent um, to pursue anything. And so when I picked up the iPad and I was doing things on there, I was like, this is so like, it's calming for me, but it's also just like, I I think it's like my preferred medium. It's like, I do a lot of watercolor as well, but something I really struggle with is like, um, I guess choosing like color palettes and stuff. And so mm-hmm. sometimes with like watercolor, it's like, I'll choose a color and then I really don't like the way it looks. So then Mm -hmm. when I'm on the iPad, it's like I can be changing the colors all the time until I get something that I really like. And so, yeah, that that room for error is like I love that about digital art. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely been easier for. uh, Yeah. To just not be afraid to make mistakes. And yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've noticed that is for my myself as well. Yeah. So what are some things that like give you inspiration for your art? Um when I don't know when I do art pieces like when I do portraits and stuff I think it's just I see an image of someone or like a model or whatnot and I'm just like man I really like how this contour of their face or the way the light hits it um like those things that really appeal to me and it just makes me it has this like urge that I want to try and replicate that and um and so it could just be something around like a facial feature or, you know, the composition of the image or something like that, that really inspires me to want to recreate it in that sense. But in terms of when I create an art piece that has really strong meaning, those, those pieces are, I don't, I don't really feel like those are me creating them because it's more so like, it's like an image that gets put into my head and it's just like I can't get rid of it it's just always there it's just constant and I'm like okay fine I'll listen and I need to put it out there in physical form and create something with it Mm -hmm. and so when I I guess some of the more notable pieces that I've created that a lot of people have really um I guess stuck to um those ones had they, they didn't really have a lot uh i don't think a lot of like depth artistic wise like it it was they're very like flat Mm -hmm. um but the story behind it's really profound so it's it's always that trade-off for me it's like when i do a portrait image it's like the story behind it it's not very deep but the the technical skills of it are it's like i put a lot of time and effort into honing that skill to make it look three-dimensional or realistic um, but then on the other side, when I have a profound story to tell, it's like, um, 
I'm just recreating the image that is put into my head. Um, and I'm just trying to create it in, in the best way that I, I can. Um, so I've always noticed that that piece, um, but yeah, a lot of my creativity when it comes to telling a story is something, I don't want to say it's like something profound. It's, um, it's not really me creating it. It's, I don't, I don't know. It's like kind of gifted to me mm -hmm. to be able to display. Yeah. Um, do you ever like incorporate language into any of your art pieces? Uh, yeah, I think uh, a lot of my art pieces that I've created, um, especially the ones that have stories, um, are all tied to a, I've always tried to create this like balance or this like collaboration between Nehiawewin and the story that I'm trying to tell. And so, yeah, language has always been, the the focal point of what I try and do and art with art has helped uh, I guess just align with that and I've always used that so um, I was able to create some pieces and some of the titles I think a lot of the titles that I've created are in Nehiyawi Win like a Sunamagi Win is with the grandmother breathing the the language into the grandchild Kagisumo um, Win is like the the is like this Mikuapa there's like, they're sitting, there's two people sitting and then they're praying to the creator or the spirits. Um, is like this, your spirits being uplifted. So there's this, this person um, standing over this other person who's like kneeling. They're really pitiful. And this person's like looking within them and lifting up their spirit. So things like that, where it's a really profound story and just being able to incorporate the, the title or the of how I want to display it in the language yeah mm -hmm. that's awesome um so I listened to I just I actually told you this I listened to your episode on the radical narrative uh with Mylan and mm -hmm. um I was actually on his podcast too recently and he's just doing he's amazing he's doing some really good work um Agreed. yeah and um I I learned a lot about you on that episode which was so cool and I just like I really appreciated the conversation that you two were having. I just like, I look up to both of you. You guys are awesome, like role models for people. And it was a really good conversation. So if anybody's listening on my podcast, definitely go check out The Radical Narrative. Um, but I wanted my listeners to also just like, I guess, learn a little bit about you and and your journey of becoming uh, fluent in, in Cree. And so if you want to maybe discuss how that journey started for you and kind of what sparked um, that like want or that need to, to get on that journey. Um, so, yeah, I think probably like five or six years ago, um, I, I don't know what it was. It was more like this. Um, it was like this thing that was in my head that just wouldn't go away. This like calling or this yearning. Um, and it was around like the language and it's like, no matter, well, I guess I'll, I'll just kind of back up, but I remember being a little kid and people would come and visit at, um, at our house and my, they would greet them at the door and, I would go and like sit underneath the table 
and I would just be able to see their their legs or their feet and and then I would hear my dad and them speaking in the language and I always wondered what they were speaking and um and I was always like intrigued and that was like this really like early memory of this intrigue or this yeah this interest in or this knowing that we're we speak something else other than English and and then going into my school years like elementary and middle school and even into high school the the language I was I was always proficient in it like I was able to read read and write in syllabic since elementary school um I, I, it was easier to retain words and things like that and even even though the language wasn't spoken to us at home my dad was a fluent speaker but him being a residential school survivor and all those um, things that uh, that we're still kind of carrying today. Um, he just didn't, he was doing it out of love, I guess, not to put us through what he went through. Um, and so that language piece was, was always there and always present. I just was, I just didn't, I wasn't shown the importance of uh, speaking the language. And so even though that piece of me was always present, I would, I would do all that I could to like ignore it. So I would just integrate into mainstream. I went to university. I played sports, did all these things. And none of it really spoke to me. Like that was my calling until I decided to, yeah, I left university and I came back home and the way that things kind of unfolded, and I finally just submitted. I was like, okay, this thing here is has always been present and it's time for me to just, yeah, submit to it and see where it goes. And then I just made the choice to try and learn um, the language and learn to be a, a speaker. And and then it's kind of led me to now where I've I've, I've been fortunate enough to have many conversations with others around my language learning journey and um, some of the methods that I've used or um, the focus when I when becoming a language learner like those things and I don't know I guess in a nutshell that's it (laughs) it's uh just listening to you speak about your story it's like it's we have very many similarities and like I didn't really know this about us but like I same with me I feel like I um, you know growing up I had a parent that was uh, you know could speak fluently but didn't and you know I felt the same way that you just explained feeling and um, he my dad also went to residential school so you know he was probably doing that out of love as well to like uh, we didn't really see the importance of like learning the language and and now that we're we're getting older right we want we want to come back to that and we are we're seeing the value in that and so i don't know i feel like i hope for myself that eventually i'll be where you're at and um it's just great to have somebody like you that's can be a role model for for people that are in the same position as me Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, thank you for that. Um, do you want to talk about maybe some challenges that you faced in becoming fluent? Um, well, I'm not fluent yet. That's the thing. <laughs> I so much to learn. Oh my God. But I'm, I have a really good foundation in 
the language now that I feel like I'm, I'm retaining a lot more than getting frustrated or forgetting. <laughs> That's uh, but some of the challenges that I faced is I think as an individual, when you're a young person and you're embarking on this language learning journey um, and it's, well, when I started, there wasn't a lot of people on this journey. And, and so you kind of become this, like this model for people to like get behind and like, and that's a lot of pressure. And so the, some of the challenges that I faced was like, um, because they're kind of put this individual on a pedestal, it's like the expectations behind it are like really high. And it's like, man, I'm just a human being and I'm just, I'm vulnerable, man. I'm still going through my own stuff, my own traumas, my own things that I need to get over. Mm -hmm. And, and with that, I, I tried to do things. I tried to like overstep. uh, I tried to overstep the process and not trust the process. I, I wanted to rush through those things to get through them as quickly as I could. Um, and from there, it just added more pressure. And it wasn't until I, I kind of got really low in my own, like, my energy to, to encourage others. Um, it wasn't until then where I needed to, like, step back and focus on my own journey because our language learning journeys are our own. And... So that's probably one of the first challenges that I went through as I, because of the expectations, I tried to be this model for others. I wanted to be that motivation for others. So I would organize um, community language meetings each week or uh, an immersion cultural camp and, and all these things. And the interest was there. And then once it came time to it, the, the turnout would be really poor. Uh, or not to my what I was expecting people to invest in, and and then that started to make me feel like I was failing, mm-hmm. and that like I was doing something wrong, or that I wasn't good enough, and all that stuff. And I, yeah, I just finally got to a point where I was just really mentally and emotionally tired and drained. Like my medicine was really low, and and so I, yeah, it took some really deep soul searching and really loving support from loved ones to to help remind me that this journey is mine um, and I'm not to be carrying burdens for others um, and that their language learning journey is theirs and that's their responsibility. Um, but if you continue to do this work that and you continue to ask for help from our ancestors or in the language, um, all those things that are intertwined within the language will converge and continue to guide you to where you need to be. And since I've made that choice, things have been really, really, I don't know, good lately. And like the, the mental health piece, it's like those things, like, if you if you have trauma, you're going through like mental health stuff. It's like that stuff is like almost like heightened because being a language learner, it's such a vulnerable position to be in, and the 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 stress and the pressures and all that stuff that come with it. Of uh, yeah, it's really frustrating at times because you're you may not remember things that you learned yesterday or even the morning in the morning. Uh, 
may forget something a few hours later. Um, it could be really discouraging. And so that was another challenge. It's just finding ways to make sure to take care of myself and to make sure that I was staying on top of those things. And so going back to, well, I think it was, it was a few years ago now when I, I took a year off from my, my job and I went to Aotearoa for like five months and I went there just on my own and I, I went there just solely to try and see how the Maori people were, well, what the steps that they were taking and the stance that they were taking in terms of language and then to use that stuff to bring back into my community and to the role that I was in here um, and, and try and create this like stronger language, uh, I guess, stance here in my community. But then when I, I did that and I returned and I was so like on this on this high of like language that I and I was just ready to like discontinue it. Um I kind of got like my legs got taken out under me from um someone in a position of power um saying that I'm ahead of my time and that language is is more of like an education thing and not so much in the health thing um and so that like really it really like took the wind out of my sails and so you have to be really careful on the the language or just the words that you use to learners because we're already in such a vulnerable state that we well i can't i can't say we we um how am i trying to put this we i guess we can't control what other people say but I guess for as a learner, it's like we really need to um, to armor up, to do all that we can to make sure that our medicine is at, at its peak, that our medicine, this cup of medicine that we have within us is like full or that it's being taken care of because there'll be times where someone will say something or do something and it'll just really knock you on your mm-hmm. ass, if I could say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and... And you just have to find a way to pick yourself up. And it took me a long time to pick myself up because I, I just really let that affect me personally. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I, yeah, it took me a long time to find my way back to light and get onto this, this mode of learning and this passion for uh, learning once again. Um, I guess it's some of the other challenges too that I've went through was um well, I kind of touched on it earlier, but the the importance of language in within the home or within community, um, there needs to be like there's not enough a need for it, and so the, you hear a lot of uh, elders and such talk about how important language is and how we need to learn it, and but then you look into communities and um, there's there's no place for it, and so we need. So that was another challenge is like, why, why should I be putting all this effort and stuff in if, if our communities aren't willing to do the same, if I'm willing to risk it all and be in this vulnerable space and try my absolute best, um, because I see how important this is to, to who we are as Nihilwak, it's like, why aren't communities doing the same? And so that was another challenge that I've, 
that I've seen and I continue to see today. Um, but we're slowly coming coming around to that. Um, another challenge, oh man, I have lots. <laughs> <laughs> this hasn't been easy. Um, but also just how, um, um, what's the word? So that's another thing I notice is I get really stuck on English words now. Like it's almost like I'm forgetting them. It's really weird. Um, but uh, the of just how much like English is everywhere. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's like the music we listen to, the TV shows, the writing on labels and the, in the fridge are like, you know, ev- it's everywhere. And so just being able to try and create a space where you see the language as much as possible is a challenge to be able to get to a, a level of, I guess, immersion mm-hmm. to make sure that your your learning is as proficient as possible that's been a challenge as well so there was times and i shared that in the, my interview with uh, mylan on his podcast so there was a time where i was i completely like shut shut out like tv and netflix and all that stuff and even with the music that i was listening to i i only listened to instrumentals or music that only had beats and no lyrics so that I wasn't hearing English and that I would, I would find um, resources like on YouTube or NBC radio or things where they had interviews with elders mm-hmm. um, or I'd go with my own language helpers and I would seek out a story, get them to tell me the story and I'd have it recorded. And so I'd have all these like resources on my phone that were recorded and and then I would just play those so like when I would go to sleep I would put this uh, story on repeat and all through the night I'd put it under my pillow and I would just hear this story over and over all night so it's like even when I was sleeping subconsciously the language was playing and I was hearing how it was flowing and then I would wake up and I would go make coffee and then I would put on another story and so the first thing that I heard when I woke up in the morning was the story being told. And, um, and so like I continued that for a long, long time and I've slowly shifted out of that um, because I feel like I have this, this firmer grasp on how the language flows. Um, But yeah, those, that was a really big challenge that I needed to really dedicate to try and shift out of. And um, yeah, especially like trying to think, I guess, how, how the language is geared today and being taught. Is this like you're thinking in English mm-hmm. when learning Nehewewin? And that's, that was a really difficult one to shift out of as well. So hence why I kind of took the, the approach to learning Achakpeagana and being proficient in that writing system so that in my own learning, if I was to write anything down, it would be in the syllabic so I didn't have to see English either. Um, so, yeah, those are just some of the challenges that I've, I've faced so far. I think I might do that, too. I want to I want to learn. I want to become like really proficient in it, too, and like be able to like write in syllabics and and, um, you know, be a lot better at like saying those those syllables and, and stuff. Um, and your video will obviously help me with that. Um, <laughs> so I guess you touched on this a little bit about like strategies that you used. Um, is there anything else that like really helped you out? 
um, as a strategy, maybe like something that even people who might be listening that they could try out? Um, Yeah, I think we're so lucky to have like so many resources available. So like, like try and utilize those things. I know that's really easy to say, but um, for example, like on, on our phones, we all have like recording devices. Um, so there's a recorder on my iPhone. Um, I use this app. It's called Voice Record Pro. And on there, it allows you to record. But then once you do that, your your recordings that you use in that, and you have them saved, you're able to slow them down and also repeat them so that they loop. Um, and so that's really helpful when you, um, when you have a recording. And so some of the recordings that I went and did with my language helper was I would go to them with something that I wanted to learn. So I'm, I'm the one being prepared. I'm not going to my language helper and saying, teach me something. I, I go there prepared. Like I remember um, I went and I was like, I want to be able to ask someone how they are, um, like how they're feeling, like to like really ask them how they're feeling, not to say dance and just like, how are you? But like really get down to is like how are they feeling, and and so I went there. I explained with my language helper what it is that I wanted to ask in the context of how I was trying to ask, and from there he he thought about it, and and then we kind of came to this 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 phrase, and so from it he said dance tamachihuin, and. I was like, okay, there was a time where I didn't even know how to say that. So I needed to break it down. And so our recording process was you would break down those words. So dance is, is pretty easy because I know what that one is, but so I would break that down into two little parts. And each time he would say the phrase, he would say it like three times with a pause in between. So I'll give you an example. So he'd be like, dance and then I would stop the recording and then I would play it back to him and he would listen to it. And if he liked the way he sounded, he'd be like, okay. And then I would um, have that. And then I would listen to that afterwards for like 15 minutes straight, just on repeat. And then after that 15 minutes, I would be like, it'd be stuck in my head. And then the goal after that was to go around and ask people. I went and visited my grand, my grandma, Minokum, and I asked her, but I added, like, how are you feeling today? And, um, and, and then she, she told me, like, she, uh, and so she said she was feeling really well and, it was just much more of a deeper, uh, I guess, concern for how my loved one was doing. And I just feel that that is um, a nicer, I guess, a more realistic approach to um, asking a question to someone um, and a more realistic use of Nehiawewen. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's one of the methods that I used. Cool. Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, the other thing I really wanted to talk to you about, and it's like something that I struggle with myself and I, I kind of want your opinion or your thoughts. Um, so I guess before I ask the question is like, 
I am a Woodland Cree woman, so I come from TH dialect up north. Um, and then I moved, uh, I moved here to Saskatoon area in the prairies, and it's all wide dialect. And I, I guess growing up, I like I learned a couple words, you know, like I learned the basics, like your numbers and your, mm-hmm. your colors and things like that. And it would all be TH dialect, right? And like the people I would hear speaking at home would be TH dialect. And then moving here to the prairies and I'm really, I'm in university and I wanted to learn a lot more about the language, but everything is in Y dialect. And so mm-hmm. I start learning in Y dialect and um, I'm still not a fluent speaker, but like I am really into like wanting to be, um, I want to get there at some point. And I, I struggle with um, the position I'm in right now. It's like I'm a, I'm a Cree language and culture teacher at an elementary school. And I struggle with, um, you know, being in that role and not being a fluent person and then also being, um, you know, in the in a different uh, territory, I guess, is like everyone here is Y dialect. And, you know, a lot of those teachings, like cultural teachings and a lot of the language is different. And so I struggle with like that, but I also struggle because I know that in our Western education system, we're not creating fluent speakers. And um, and I think that's something to be realistic about is like, I don't think we will ever create fluent speakers coming out of that system. And for me as a teacher, it's like, it's discouraging because I'm like, well, what the hell am I doing here then as a Cree language and culture yeah. teacher? And so I guess just like, I don't know, what are your thoughts, opinions? I, I, it's something that I struggle with all the time, so. Oh man, yeah, that's, that's, there's a lot to unpack right there. Holy man. It's like, because I, I can empathize with where, where you're coming from, what you're thinking and feeling in terms of the system of learning that we have in place. Um, not only like in urban places, but those same methods are being taught in communities as well. Mm-hmm. And so that's challenging. Um, so like, I, like I've been learning in that system of the way that they've been teaching Nehiawe when, um, ever since I was a child and yet I'm not a fluent speaker. So it just goes to show just that it's failing Mm -hmm. um, or that it's not, it's not useful. Um, yet we have these educational systems in place, whether they're indigenous led or not. Um, that are that are pushing these to continue and so that's that's really really challenging and it's almost like we it's almost like we're I don't know how to say it uh, we're we don't believe that we can operate outside of that Mm -hmm. it's like we're stuck in this mold and we'll just continue to try find new ways within this circle um, to try and get her through the issue yet we're not willing to think outside the box and really like really shift our way of thinking shift our way of understanding on how we learn as Nehiwak. Um and it's like we we don't value that as as equal and I think it, when it comes to like language and and how that shapes our worldview and and everything if if there's not 
enough people like yourselves who are like challenging those thoughts and ideas, then then we're we're just going to continue in this in this way. So it's really it's a tough position for you to be in, mm-hmm. but it's also really commendable that you're conscious of it and that it's okay to ask those questions of like, are you wasting time or like, what the heck are you yeah. doing? And um, but it's people like you who are who have gone through the motions, who are, who have went through the the educational system of like learning that style and becoming a teacher and and just seeing how that that mode of learning operates and not seeing the benefit mm-hmm. and it's still you're still questioning it so I think you're really in a a really uh I don't know like in a position of uh I don't want to say I don't even know the English word I'm trying to think of oh my god <laughs> <laughs> it is but like, like it's such you're a in a really vulnerable position but it's vulnerable not in the sense of like that you're in danger or that you're that you should be fearful of it but more and so that you're you're breaking new ground because you the decision that you make in this position it may shape how we start to organize behind education for our future generations and especially when it comes to language um yeah yeah i definitely (laughs) like I know I'm like in it's so challenging for me like every day to go into work and be like um, I know like obviously we want for someday in the future our huge goal is to have more fluent speakers and knowing that going into work I'm not creating like I know I won't be creating fluent speakers I'm not even one myself yet and so I don't know I go into work with that mindset and it's kind of draining some days but then I also like sometimes I just like have to look at the I guess the celebrations of like even though it's a western system and we know it's like not really working I also just know that like we never even used to have this at all in our in our system so it's like there are benefits to it I guess it's like I look at it as like when I go into work I'm at least trying to instill like a little bit of pride into our indigenous students like I work with a very high population of indigenous students here in the city and a lot of them don't even have that access to culture um so I I look at it in that way is like there are some things to celebrate you know I can't Mm -hmm. I can't be going into work every day and like feeling crappy about myself and what I'm doing and so um trying to look at like the good things and like at least trying to uh, build up their vocabulary a little bit in the best way that I can. And hopefully someday down the line, that'll spark, you know, that desire to want to learn more as they get older. Yeah. 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 It's like that silver lining. It's like, yeah, we are able to see the, the ineffectiveness of the system, but at the same time, we're also conscious that, uh, there's a shift happening Mm -hmm. because of we're able to see, have access to our language within a learning um yeah learning environment Mm -hmm. um but yet we know that there's still a lot of work that needs to be done and it it needs to be done in a timely manner because we i don't think we have too much time before we we before things become really dangerous in terms of uh the um, amount of speakers we have left 
oh wait no before <laughs> you started a podcast oh yes yes, yes i wanted did. to chat about that really quick um i haven't listened okay. to it yet but i want to and i will but if you want to just share what it is uh what it's about where we can find it okay um so yeah i well it was just before I did the interview with Mylan um, on the Radical Narrative podcast, I so him and I were um, chatting back and forth, and we, well, no, I guess the he kind of helped spur the the idea and put things into motion. But my my older sister, she she's a journalist. Well, she was a journalist for CBC, and now she does work with Gimlet Media. And so she's been doing like really beautiful like work with uh, Missing and Murdered and Finding Cleo and she'll have a new one coming out. And so- Is that the new one with Connie Walker? Like I legit just yeah, shared it today. Yeah. Oh my God, yeah, yeah, yeah. so exciting, yeah, yeah. so exciting. And so like that's her jam. And so she's, when I, when I got back from New Zealand, that's another story I could share. <laughs> but when I got back from New Zealand, I, I was kind of, in, in transit and I was, I spent the night over there, um, before my flight home. And we were talking about her, her latest podcast at that time and talked about my trip to New Zealand and my language learning journey. And she was kind of like, you should do a podcast. It's really easy. And all you need to do is this. And so she kind of like planted this seed. And so fast forward to years later and this interview with, with Mylan and I just decided, especially with supports and my family too, they just really encouraged me that my, that I had something worth sharing. And, and so I just kind of came up with the idea that I would do this podcast. The resurgence podcast is what it's titled. Um, and it's, it's focused around my own language learning journey and to be geared towards encouraging learners to to find their voice, to be able to share that, um, to gain confidence in 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 speaking to, or just being able to go through the motions of a learner and to try and anticipate of what's coming, the challenges or some of the that achievements and whatnot. And as, as a part of the podcast, as well as I want to share in conversation with, with many other Indigenous folk doing things and work around language and to share in perspectives and worldviews. Um, so it doesn't necessa necessarily have to be with um, Nehioak, but it could be like friends who I have who live up in the Yukon or the, some of the Maori people who I met in Aotearoa. Um, so that's kind of like the, as the motion goes, uh, as I get kind of more familiar with the process and come up with some more content, I know eventually the, the direction I want to go is to share in conversation with, with other Indigenous people and just to highlight the diversity that, that we all have, because I know a lot of non-Indigenous people still put us all in the same pool and they all think that we're just this one people yet it's just so vastly diverse even just regionally you know mm -hmm. um let alone across the country and uh yeah so there's that little part on my 
resurgence podcast <laughs> awesome okay i'm glad you're sharing that and i just like podcasting in saskatchewan has been like taking off but also indigenous podcasting in saskatchewan mm-hmm. has been taking off because like i've been doing this now for this is year two um almost be coming up on year three soon but um when i started there was like barely there was nobody and i was like i felt like i was the only indigenous person doing it in saskatchewan (laughs) and now i'm like i can count like probably at least 10 that have popped up so i'm like this is awesome and i'm glad we got another one so yeah i'm excited to listen to yours (laughs) that's how i felt as a language learner back when i first started i was like man it's like I feel like I was the only one swimming in this ocean. <laughs> it's like, yeah. and now there's many people jumping on this journey. It's just so, uh, so exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where can we uh, find your podcast? Um, so I uploaded on Anchor. So Anchor just has, I think it supplies it or just distributes it to like the main ones. Yeah. Like you can find it on Google Podcasts, um, Apple Podcasts, and I guess the main one, Spotify. Um, yeah, I have one episode out right now and I intend to, um, get the next one up here and by the first week in March, I think, Awesome. and try and make it as consistent as possible.